Jason kindly prayed for me. I'm just going to pray as well because uh, it's a difficult word I want to bring, difficult to bring to you, not difficult for you to hear. Uh, so I just need God's extra grace upon me this morning. Father, we just, no, I just stand before you and ask you to use these words, Lord God, to anoint them. Lord, I can ramble on for ages, but unless you anoint them, it's all pretty pointless. Uh, and I just pray you'd do that. I pray you'd open up our hearts to heal us where we need to heal and heal us in another sense, Lord God, to be a better witness for you, a better child for you. And also, Lord God, any wounds we're carrying from previous situations in our lives, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, today you would begin to unpick them to just restore us and heal us to the glory of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to speak to you from a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 12, verse 18. And it simply says this, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, as I just indicated, it's a difficult message to bring because I don't stand before you as someone who is faultless in this area. Today's a little unusual because not only do I have Laurie's mum and Ray, her husband, amongst us, I've got uh, good friends amongst us, uh, I've got some work colleagues amongst us, you name it. I've got lots of people amongst us today who know me in different environments. So I humbly say at the beginning, I'm not bringing this word as one who is supreme in this area. And despite my very best efforts, I do not promise never to err in this area again. However, I can bring you this message as someone who has seen the wounds that we can cause through reckless words. But also someone who may still carry the wounds of reckless words spoken to me as well. The Proverbs warns us that reckless words will pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In the ESV version of the Bible, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. To speak recklessly is to have no concern for the consequences of what you're going to say. And therefore, every time you and I speak, and of course, although Paul at the time he write this, or the Samson or whoever wrote uh, Proverbs, would not have perhaps foreseen email and Snapchat and goodness knows what else you're on. But every time we speak or communicate via email or text or I don't know, all the other things we do, there is a potential we have to take a sword and wound the person we are communicating with. The reckless person has a mighty sword in their mouths and at their fingertips. So if they're reckless, they will cut, slash and pierce those they speak to with no concern for the consequences. And yet, wise words can bring healing. James, who I always felt would have made a great northerner because he spoke so bluntly, says this in his letter in chapter 3. 
He says, when, he put, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The words we, we use will actually reveal who we are and they will direct the path of our lives. They will determine the joy we have in our friendships, the security we have in our marriages, the unity we have in our church and indeed our own maturity in following Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. I read a book some time ago entitled You Are What You Eat and by looking at me it wasn't about hamburgers and chips in case you were wondering although that is I think the advice I did follow but basically the book was saying that what goes in comes out you know if I have a diet full of hamburger and chips I'm going to look like I do presently <laughs> and possibly even worse but you know the same applies to our words we are what we speak and what comes out is probably what is already inside. So my question is, are the words we use either spoken or typed wise or reckless? There's another proverb that says this in chapter 10, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Do you know, I'd have been so much wiser if I'd have shut up a lot more over the years. And the wounds that these reckless words can, affect, can uh, cause can have long-term effects. At first we may feel that they hurt a lot. Well, they will do. But somehow over time, that wound may seem to scab over a little bit, you know? So we don't remember it so much and it doesn't hurt so much. We think we're over it. We think we've moved on. And then some poor, innocent person may casually make a comment to us and it is as though they have taken hold of that scab and ripped it off. And suddenly, we're back in that place. Such is the power 
of those wounds. And we respond. We then get defensive or we get angry. We retaliate and we pick up our sword and begin to wound them back. And they're probably thinking, what have I said? What have I done? And it's simply because the wounds that we carry have not been healed. It's not until we get the words of the wise that the wound will stop hurting. But before we look at how we can be wise people, I'd like to share with you three situations where reckless words are commonly made and then four suggestions how, can, how we can avoid wounding each other. And as I do, let's be open to the Holy Spirit. I've spoken this message at a couple of churches over the years. Sometimes the Holy Spirit begins to open something and you begin to hear things that you haven't heard for a long time or you begin to feel things that you haven't felt for a while. Because God, maybe for you today, wants to say, look, it's time we took that scab off and we healed this wound once and for all. So firstly, many wounds that we carry come from unnecessary and harsh criticism. You are useless. You will never amount to much. You can't be trusted. What a mess you've made of it. You never get it right. And so on and so forth. And these words and the wounds they cause damage our marriages, our friendships and our churches. We seem to be so good at expressing what we don't like, yet so slow to express gratitude for what we do like. And churches can be like this. You can find many non-Christians outside of the church know an awful lot about what the church does not approve of, what the church does not like, but don't know so much about what the church does love and does like. And church leaders and those who serve in our churches can be too familiar with what the congregation don't like but actually never seem to hear the words of expression of what we do like. We seem to be more eager to express our complaints and our criticisms than we are our encouragements. Over the years, I've spoken with many church leaders who have become indecisive through their fear of receiving criticism for any change they may want to make. These guys, and I used to be one, but God dealt with it, these guys dread the Monday morning email inbox. You said this on Sunday, you did this on Sunday, the coffee was weak. No, that's me, that's me that sends that one. <laughs> they dread it. Do you know, I got to a point sometimes that Monday, Monday morning was my day off because I wisely just wanted to move it away. But do you know, there'll be a phone call and there were times when I was leading churches I would dread answering the phone. I've ministered and prayed with adults who still, 20, 30 years on, carry the harsh words that were said over them when they were children. 
and I've prayed for men and women who see themselves as useless and failures because they've never heard the encouraging words from others to get up and try again. God says through Paul in Ephesians, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit, benefit those who listen. And I'm sure that applies to what we write also. Many years ago in our first church, we had a young couple who were leading our worship team. We're pretty new. We hadn't been going on long. And things were a bit rough. Okay, I'm not saying we are here, by the way. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. But in a young church, new church, things were a bit rough for a while. And we stumbled through on the Sunday. We had a lady who played a violin who never plugged it in because the Holy Spirit apparently told her to. And I'm thinking, how would you encourage that graciously? But Laurie and I met with this couple and we sat down with them for food. And I began by expressing our gratitude because otherwise I'd had to lead worship. So you can see how grateful Laurie was that this couple were. And I, I began by expressing our gratitude and saying, look, thank you ever so much. Really appreciate what you're doing. They never said a word. They just both broke down in tears at that moment. You know those moments when you think, now what have I said? Now what have I done? But they were so used to being criticised in their previous church that even during the time of worship, congregation members would stand up and shout across, this isn't worshipping God, this isn't honouring God. And they were thinking that I was just going to say the same to them. And in that moment of encouragement, as they wept and brought out all the pain and wounds they'd carried, God began to heal them. So much so, a few years later, they led a church of their own. Rob Parsons, who's uh, written a few books about marriage, he tells a story of a wife who came to see a marriage counsellor. She was so fed up with her husband. He never does anything right. And she wanted to leave him and divorce him. But she's advised by the counsellor, well, look, before that, it might be good to have a few months at home with him and just calm things down and just try and bring a bit of harmony to get some foundation so the divorce can kind of come from a good place rather than a, a, a place of argument and antagonism. And he, what they suggested is, why don't you just say nice things to your husband for three months and create a good atmosphere and then move forward? Sure enough, three months later, she came to meet the counsellor. And the counsellor says, OK, are you ready now to begin divorce proceedings? She said, no. I love him more now than I've ever loved him. As expected, the counsellor knew that the words she used would direct her path and her heart. And simply by turning things around in that simple way, her heart was opened and she loved the man and her marriage was saved. Guys, we can choose to harshly criticise and therefore wound people or we can use our words to strengthen them and to heal them. Another source of anger, sorry, another source of reckless words comes from our unchecked anger. In Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down 
while, while you are still angry. I used to think that that meant you had to keep arguing until finally you came to a resolution, but in my mind that meant you had to keep arguing until you accepted I was right and you were wrong, and then we, got, we could go to sleep. But actually what I've begun to understand is Paul saying, actually, don't let your anger go down with the sun because you still need to apologise, probably for all the things you've said. If we can't control what we're going to say when we're angry, there is a simple solution that my years of experience can share with you right now. Shut up. Don't say anything. If you can't control what you're going to say, I've learnt, and I'm sure many of you have, it is best to say nothing. You see, when we get angry, our pride often prevents us from being wrong. And in our desire to be right, we will try and crush the other person to a submission with the words we use. And our focus very quickly moves from the context and the issue of the argument to the person we're arguing with. And that's when the wound appears. So suddenly... They become the enemy and we become reckless. We return to previous disagreements, to widen the issue, to strengthen our case. This is just what you did last time. This is what you always did. Don't you remember when? It's like taking a hatchet from a previous argument that you've supposedly buried, but always leaving the handle protruding a bit. So in times of need, you can go and yank it up again and smack each other again. And yet those we are angry with are often left cut and bruised by our slashing sword. And you know, speaking from experience, it never feels as though it is worth it at the end, does it? When you see the damage you've done. In your anger, do not sin. Do not wound others. And perhaps one that is more common from what I've found. My third source of wounds, of words, sorry, that wound us, come from words that are never spoken. The absence of hearing the right words leave as painful a wound as those said recklessly. Children grow up never hearing their parents' love and approval. Some years ago, Laurie and I had a lady come to our door, crying her eyes out, came in distraught. What is it? How can we help? Apparently what had happened was the family were quite wealthy and they had a gardener for many, many a year. And the gardener had died and the family expected the lady who'd now obviously got her own family, that she would want to come to the funeral of this gardener, the family gardener. But the lady refused and the family were perplexed and angry with her. Why won't you come? It's just rude. And she couldn't tell them because all through her growing up, her father had never given her the words of approval, assurance, encouragement of love. And so she as a little girl had gone to the gardener and the gardener had taken that situation and abused her sexually for years. And the family never knew. And she obviously felt guilty. But as a little girl, 
She just went to the words. She went to hear the words that would strengthen her, not knowing the long-term effects. A partner is left unsure if they're loved and secure in their relationship when words aren't spoken. A lady came to see me some years ago sobbing that during her 20 years of marriage, every time she asked her husband if he loved her, he would simply say, I'm still here, aren't I? And that was it. Some kind of joke. And here I am sitting with this woman whose heart is broken because she'd never heard these words from her husband. She'd been wounded. Unspoken words wound many in our churches. Leaders walk on eggshells, unsure if they're appreciated or doing a good job. Do you know the hardest thing to do in the world is to lead a church? I'll tell you why. Because if it's going great and it's doing well, you've got to be humble and give the glory to God. If it's doing rubbish, you can't blame God, it's your fault. So it's a no-win. So the only way you know if you're doing a good job is by the encouragement from people. And yet, I met so many leaders who were just so afraid and crushed because they never knew. Did the people appreciate? People in churches, the most common reason people stop serving in churches is not because they're tired, it's because they're not encouraged. Because they wonder, does anyone appreciate me? Am I doing it well enough? What's going on? All I hear is the odd grumble. Surely, surely we would expect that the church of God, the family of God, should be the most encouraging, the most forgiving, the most humble and caring community on earth. Yet, if you asked many church leaders, there would be a significant number that would tell you a different story. A story of criticism. A story of never getting it right. A story of a lack of encouragement and little expression of appreciation. Friends, our deafening silence can wound others. And yet, praise God, we love and worship a God who was never silent. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each independently speak to us. The Bible shouts of God's love to us and his acceptance of us and his approval of us. Imagine if God had left us guessing and had treated us with his words as sometimes we might treat others. If he had never assured us of the forgiveness of our sin so that every time we sinned we felt we had to somehow earn his love back. If he never assured us that, yes, our eternity is secure in heaven. So we'd always live every day afraid of getting anything wrong in case we lost our eternity or doing anything for him in case we got it wrong. Imagine if he never assured you of his love for you, of his purpose for you, of his plan for you, of his hopes for you, of his provision and gifts for you, of his faithfulness to you. Imagine if God had used words like we use them and not spoken what needed to be spoken. What a miserable lot we'd be. How wonderful it is that he is not, has not 
and never will be silent with us. And neither should we be. For the Bible teaches us about using words for good. Hebrews 3, encourage one another occasionally. No, it doesn't say occasionally, does it? Monthly. No, it doesn't even say that. On a Sunday. No, it doesn't say that. It says encourage one another daily. 1 Thessalonians speaks of encouraging one another to build each other up. We're told to express our forgiveness. We're told to confess our sins. We're told to settle our disputes. We're told to talk an awful lot more than we do if it's to build others up and strengthen and encourage them. Words are given to us for the good of others. And we need to use them. So what can we do to be healed of our wounds and perhaps to stop wounding others? i got four suggestions. Be wise. Forgive those who have wounded you. Don't retaliate. And listen to God's words. So let's look at the first one. Be wise. Psalm 141 verse 3 says this. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a scary verse, isn't it? Do I really want God to keep watch over the door of my lips? Oh my goodness. Yes, I do, but I wish he hadn't heard some of the things I'd said. <laughs> That's Laurie who's tuttering then, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Help me say less, Lord. Help me say only what builds up and help me to speak the right words and not be silent. Help me to be wise. Make a conscious conscious decision to be wise. Every day I'm going to say something to build someone up. Every Sunday I'm going to make a point of thanking and appreciating someone who has served me. It won't kill us to do that. Every day I will tell my nearest and dearest of my love and thankfulness for them. Dear friends, you and I will notice a significant change in those around us and in ourselves if we can live like this. Imagine the effect it can have on our marriages, our friendships and our churches if we truly got hold of God's word in this way. In 25 years of leading different churches, I would honestly say, whilst generally we were an encouraging church, because I preach this regularly to them, but there was one man, one man who stood out beyond everybody else who had given his life to make sure he was an encourager. He was unique. He wasn't wishy-washy with it, like saying when I preached a stupid sermon, it was brilliant. But he always left you encouraged, assured of his affection and built up every time he spoke to you. I've never met anyone like him and we had him leading a home group. And between you and I, he wasn't a great home group leader, but boy, everybody wanted to be in his home group. Everybody wanted to be it at his house. Everybody loved him. He wasn't a great Bible teacher. He was quite forgetful with details of things. But boy, did everyone, everyone want to be with him. And actually, you guys know him as well. 
Anyway, I won't tell you his name publicly. But he was a wise man. He set the course of his life in a direction that he would always encourage and build up. And boy, did he. And bear the results of that. Secondly, guys, we've got to forgive those who have wounded us. We've got to bury that hatchet and make sure we can't find the handle. Because forgiveness will set you free. And forgiveness can reach beyond the grave. You see, for those who have wounded you, many of them may have actually passed away by now. But you can still carry those wounds in your heart because of their reckless words. And your unforgiveness is just leaving a scab waiting for it to be knocked off. By forgiving them, even though they've passed on, it's doing what God would have us do. And surely that's the best course of action in all situations. To do unto others as God has done unto us. Which is full forgiveness. God doesn't remind us of our sins. God doesn't say, you've done that again. How many time, more times are you going to do that? God doesn't leave us guilty because of our sin when we've repented. Nor does he bring condemnation. God forgives us wholly and totally. And when we forgive others, we release that pain that we've got. We set ourselves free, even if they've passed away. And do you know something? The more we forgive others, the more we realise that we probably need to ask forgiveness for the things we've done as well. Forgive those who have wounded you. And thirdly, never master the art of retaliation. My dear mum used to say to me as we were growing up, two wrongs don't make a right, Geoffrey. I can still hear saying it when I say it to you. Two wrongs do not make a right. But we somehow like to think that when we're wounded, our retaliation is going to make us feel better. But it doesn't. King David, when he was a young man, was growing up. And he was in King Saul, who was Saul, who was the king at the time. He was in his court. And everybody seemed to love King David. Everything he did, God was anointing it and blessing it. And so Saul got really jealous of David. And Saul became angry with David and insecure of David. Or because of David. And yet we notice later on, when David himself becomes king, he somehow managed to avoid being wounded by all that happened to him. He somehow has managed to not copy Saul's behaviour. How? I read you from the book. King David had a question. What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Does it not seem odd to you that David did not know the answer to this question? After all, everyone else in the world knows what to do when a spear is thrown at you. Why? You pick it up and you throw it right back. When someone throws a spear at you, David, just wrench it right out the wall and throw it back. Absolutely everyone else does, you can be sure. And in doing this small feat, 
of returning thrown spears, you will prove many things. You'll prove you're courageous. You stand for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You're tough and can't be pushed around. You'll not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You're the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, the detector, defect, detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove that you are also obviously a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed, just like King Saul. And there is also a possibility that some 20 years after your coronation, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all the realm, and quite assuredly mad. Unlike anyone else in spear throwing history, David did not know what to do when a spear was thrown at him. He did not throw Saul's spears back at him, nor did he make any spears of his own and throw them. Something was different about David. All he did was dodge. What can a man, especially a young man, do when the king decides to use him for target practice? What if the young man decides not to return the compliment? First of all, he must pretend he cannot see the spears, even when they're coming straight at him. Secondly, he must also learn to duck very quickly. And lastly, he must pretend nothing has happened at all. You can easily tell when someone has been hit by a spear. They turn a deep shade of bitter. David never got hit. Gradually, he learned a very well-kept secret. He discovered three things that prevented him from ever being hit. One, Never learn anything about the fashionable, easily uh, mastered art of spear throwing. Two, stay out of the company of all spear throwers. And three, keep your mouth tightly closed. In this way, spears will never harm you, even when they pierce your heart. Do not master the art of retaliation. And then finally, and most importantly, what can we do to heal our wounds and be better at not wounding others is to make sure that it is God's word that we hear most regularly, most clearly and most loudly than any other. We must receive and believe who we are as God tells us. We're loved, adopted, chosen, cherished, forgiven, secure in our relationship with him and believe he will treat us as he's promised to with grace undeserved outrageous grace with mercy faithfulness and goodness your father in heaven my father in heaven is your greatest supporter and his words will never wound you they are always for your good with God, we are winners before we start. He can't love us anymore. We get everything up front when we're saved, when we come to him. We get no strings are attached. Have the lot. You're mine, you're cherished. And when we get his words deep into our hearts and minds, we will soon see our wounds heal. When we first planted our first church, I didn't really know what I was doing. In fact, some thought after 25 years, I didn't really know. But in the first church, we came out of a situation where the leaders 
of the church we were leading couldn't understand why we were going to plant a church. And they actually used the phrase, God would have you plant a church? You? The funny thing was, I was just as perplexed as they were, and Laurie even more so. You know, why would God call me and Laurie to plant a church? But this developed an insecurity for the first couple of years, an insecurity that you don't, you're not aware of, but you know things aren't right and you react in different ways that you're not happy with and you don't understand it. But basically, I was wrestling with this for years. Who am I to stand up and, you know, put, put myself forward as a leader? I'd meet other leaders from other denominational churches and they would say well you know when were you ordained or where's your collar and all this and I'm just thinking I'm a guy with three O levels I don't know God called me to plant the church so I kind of lived with that for a few years and one day I went on business to Toronto and at the time of these blessings you know when the they called it the Toronto blessing but it wasn't really it was just God was doing a new thing in an unusual way and I was one of those people that every time I got asked to be prayed for you know hundreds around me were falling around and weeping and shouting and screaming and I just stood there like an oak tree thinking well this is embarrassing and often between you and I I just fall down to let them move on and pray for someone else and just have a bit of peace and quiet and so I went to forward in this meeting and this was in Toronto actually would you believe uh, and I went forward in this meeting and sure enough the same happened and John Arnott, the guy who God had started this with, actually came down the line, came to me. He prayed for him and came to me and must have seen, nah, forget him, and moved past me <laughs> and went on to everyone else. So I'm standing there thinking in my insecurity, typically, yeah, yeah, God doesn't love me, I'm not anointed and all this. Uh, and I go back into the congregation. So in the congregation they're singing one of these beautiful hymns, hymns that, praise God, we still sing. And in this hymn, I can't remember which one it was, I would have my eyes closed and I was just wrestling with all the, oh, who do I think I am, really? God, uh, and all the rest of it. And with my eyes closed, I see before me the cr a crowd of people. And in this crowd, there's a, there's a roughly, uh, roughly, uh, there's a commotion going on and the crowd start to part. And I'm standing there with my eyes closed in worship, but seeing this scene, and this crowd start to part in front of me. And there's, a, there's an open path, a bit like now, as though you're all together and now you've moved apart. And then, then Jesus begins to walk towards me. Do you know, this is 30 years ago and it still gets me the same. And Jesus began to walk towards me. And I'm standing there, almost like frightened. And the crowd are moving and he's got a crown in his head. And he walks up to me with this crown and just puts it on my head. Just like, I'm pleased with you. That was all it took. And in that moment, scabs fell off. Wounds were healed. I didn't care what people had said of me or thought of me. I wasn't going to care ever again. Because I'd heard the wounds of the words of the only one who really mattered. My saviour had said, I'm pleased with you. It's God's words we need to hear. Have you heard God whisper into your heart, I love you, you're mine, I'm thrilled with you, you're doing great, keep going.
Maybe you've never heard God whisper into your heart, I want you to be my child. Will you come into a relationship with me? And maybe today you realize you can do and you need to do. But maybe also like me, you're carrying wounds. Some wounds you haven't realized. Some scabs you thought had long gone, but just this morning, the Holy Spirit is touching you again and saying, actually, there's a scab there we need to deal with. You need to hear God's words to bring healing to that scab, to that wound. Let me read you this last story. Mary Ann Bird, don't know who she is, writes this. She said, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked at others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. Miss, Mrs. Leonard, by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we'd have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue. Or do you have new shoes on? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Le Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. God says to every person who feels deformed by sin or wounded by others, I wish you were my son. Or I wish you were my daughter. A few words from God brought prophetically through his word, through the preaching of his word, or speaking personally into your heart. Those are the words we cherish. Those are the words that heal us. Those are the words that change our lives. It's not rhetoric. It's God's truth about who you are in him. So I'm going to close, but I'm going to ask us to just take a moment to wait quietly. And just, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and whisper what you need to hear. I and mean, it's you, no one else knows. It's just what you may need to hear. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be wiser with the words we use. And I include myself in this. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to start saying words and using them for the glory of God to build others. I want to ask him to stop any recklessness amongst us. And I want to ask him to help us forgive those who have wounded us and to heal past wounds. And maybe in this quietness you may just need to say, Father, I forgive my mum, my dad. I, I forgive that boss. I forgive that friend. I forgive that ex-partner of things they said to me. I want to let them go and turn my gaze upon you. Let's just pray.
Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have spoken into my life in so many ways and times. And every time, Lord, it's changed me, healed me, transformed me. I bless you and thank you and worship you that even sharing a story of 30 years ago, your words are just as though you spoke them 10 minutes ago. You knew what I needed to hear. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you can see the scabs we've got, the wounds we carry. You know our innermost thoughts and secrets. Please would you minister to my brothers and sisters in this room that they too would hear the words they need to hear. Gosh, this, there's somebody amongst us, and I don't want you to say who it is. There's somebody amongst us who I believe has had an abortion. I want you to know that God wants you to know. It's okay. You're forgiven. You can move on. It's okay. It's not an unforgivable sin. But he loves you still. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Heal us. We're sick of these scabs. someone's past and you just struggle to let God tell you that he loves you because you feel you've been so hurt by people in the past and done things that has caused hurt to others that you're not worthy of his love that's absolute rubbish God loves you. He knew all that you would do. He knew the mistakes you'd make and the words you'd say. He knew the wounds you would take on. And he loves you in the midst of it. And right now, he can't love you anymore. You need to hear his words to heal your wounds and believe them. Lord, thank you. I say give us no rest in this coming week in our quiet times with you as we just go about our lives. I just pray, meet with us and may we just hear your words where we need to hear them. And I want to pray for us as a church. Oh God, may we be a shining example of you with the words we use with one another May we bless our leaders and encourage them. May all those who serve amongst us serve with a joy. And may, Lord God, our communication be like precious oil, soothing one another. In Jesus' name, amen.